Canadian Family Health Counseling provides education and counseling services across Canada and beyond. Our holistic approach, called Neural Network Therapy, uses practical tools to boost mood, reduce anxiety, manage anger, break unwanted habits, and develop strong, healthy relationships. Sit back and relax while clinical director and founder Kim Sargent shares her insights and expertise on why emotional health matters. Hello, and welcome back to Emotional Health Matters. It's really been quite a long time since I've done a podcast, and there's a reason for that. So I'd like to explain a bit about that today. And I thought a lot about whether or not to kind of share this information, because in some ways it's just doom and gloom, and I'm not really that interested in spreading more of that in this world. So my hope with Emotional Health Matters was to instead do the opposite. But I do think that it's really relevant for people that might be going through something similar. So I'm, I'm hoping that only those of you who are interested and in, or dealing with somebody who might be going through a litigation process that might take this in. Otherwise, it's probably not information that's going to be helpful to you. So um, as I've talked about at some point, you know, in, in this in these podcasts, which began post brain injury for me. Um, part of the reason I chose to do a podcast was because for some reason, my brain injury still allowed me to, this, this great skill to, to talk, and if anything, ramble, which is entirely what a podcast is. And I was feeling really as though I didn't, I didn't want to be put out to pasture. I didn't want to not have this career that had meant so much to me over these years, simply because I was no longer practicing frontline. Thankfully, I've been able to still continue to work with my team of counselors at the practice. And, uh, you know, I have days that my brain is great and I feel pretty, pretty smart. And other days where it just isn't working at all. And thankfully, I can take the time I need to pull back and, and just look after myself. So for those days that I'm feeling really good and strong, that's the time that I need to be doing something. I need to be creating something. And um, part of the process that I went through was was really quite something. I I didn't actually go seeking legal counsel after my uh, car accident. It was actually a, a neurologist that said to me, listen, you have permanent you know, problems going on here. So this post-concussion syndrome is prolonged. The symptoms uh, at nine months mean that you're, you know, this is going to be a very long time. And so that was really, it was helpful information, but it was, uh, it was something that prompted me into this legal battle. And and I guess at that time, I also had this really, you know, kind of a super naive idea in my mind, that going through a process of litigation against this driver who was distracted, um, who uh, I believe was on his phone. Now he said he was on his phone, and then later, you know, took that back. But to me, that was a really important fight, because I think that that's a problem. I think we're dealing with a huge problem in what's happening with distracted driving. And I, I wanted to take a stand. And I thought, you know, my injuries were not, so, they didn't take me out completely. I didn't die. I didn't lose a limb. Uh, you know, my brain was damaged, but I was still able to to cope to a certain degree, uh, to a large degree. And so why would I not then speak up for, especially those people that have been through something like this, uh, who do not have the voice that I have, and certainly don't have um, the listening, you know, the audience that's there and paying attention to some things that I have to say around emotional health. So this became um, kind of important in that way. And I was fired up about it. And I realized that that fire was important. And it carried me through some really dark times when I was really struggling with depression, and anxiety, which, you know, still a part of my life on a regular basis. But thankfully, I've been able to do an awful lot to keep my head above water, and to get back to some enjoyment in life. So what I want to say about that is that I, I, 
I, I knew that my fighting days were over. And I just mean that by, you know, when I was in my teens, late teens and early 20s, I actually fought for client counselor confidentiality in the legal system and, and spun together this great, you know, group of, of people that were fighting for the same thing. And we raised a bunch of money and paid our legal fees and set precedents in Canada. And that was a really exciting time for me. And despite my mortal fear of uh, public speaking, I was I was just um, constantly on the news and doing these um, these great speaking engagements, trying to, to explain to people, listen, if you've been to see a doctor or a psychiatrist or, um, or you know, anybody in the helping profession and you think that everything you have to say is 100% confidential, it simply isn't. Um, that is not the law. The only privilege that exists in Canada is that between a solicitor and their client. And that was news to, to me um, in where I was working at the Varian District Great Crisis Centre. And, and so anyway, there was sort of an interesting battle that went on there and a lot of people showed up and it became a big movement. We created this movement called WAVE, Working Against Victimization Everywhere. And it, it was really important to me to take the voice that I had back then and do something with it. And, and it was it was great. I realized it was my drama for a while. I was, you know, we're all fired up by drama, whatever kind of drama that is. And I was in a very, you know, this is what's right. And so we have to do it. And I had a bit of that flair come up that I think was sort of pulling me up uh, by my bootstraps after this accident and saying, okay, let's let's fight this thing. Let's do something about it. But to be clear, going through a litigation process, uh, particularly one against an insurance company um, uh, or a couple of insurance companies, is not, there's no, <laughs> there's no real dignity in any of it. I was aware of the fact that they were going to follow me and they were going to, you know, do what they could to attack my character. And frankly, I actually just thought that there wasn't a chance that they could poke holes in it. And I guess that sounds incredibly arrogant, but I, I just feel really strongly about the fact that who I am on the inside is who I am on the outside. And I've always made a point of being uh, very real about who I am, at least uh, to my way of thinking, and to what I'm aware of. <laughs> so there's not that there's not moments that you're not aware of something, but I, I've really made a point of trying to give that um, if I'm going to, to encourage people to do that in, in terms of, you know, having well-being in their lives, I really believe it's connected to our integrity. I think that we, when we're when who we are on the inside is who we are on the outside, that we thrive and that that, that, that alignment is where we, we get this great amount of energy and that the further we are from that, the more secrets we hold, the more we try to kind of hide who we are, maybe even from ourselves, not just the world at large. I don't think it's something that we're doing necessarily even consciously. I just think that those pieces begin to fracture us. And as a result, we see ourselves sort of coming down and down and down the emotional scale to a place where um, you know, sometimes even to despair, uh, but certainly that we we just feel less than our the entirety of ourselves. So the other thing is too, I think when we're in full alignment, I think that people feel that when you're around somebody who's incredibly real, um, you just want to spend time with them. <laughs> it's nice to be with them, and I I really value that. It's something that's really important to me. So I didn't think that there was a chance that this this process I was going through was going to be harmful to me anyway. And instead, what happened was um, a, a few things. First of all, they followed me around with cameras an awful lot. So I was, you know, to the point that I was feeling like, okay, every time I step out my door, I have to remember I've got this paparazzi on my tail. And it was, uh, it was something I tried to make light of, but it was, it was really difficult for sure. It was, it was really hard to know that that was the case, that I didn't really have any privacy, um, that even in this Me Too world, we were actually allowed to, we're legally allowed to, <laughs> to have people filming us the moment we step out our front door. So things that I was doing to try to be, to help my um, mental health, well, first of all, at the beginning of this accident, I just didn't even know what I was dealing with. And so like most things, I just said, okay, whatever, I haven't got time for this. And I pushed and pushed and pushed. And that cost me dearly. 
And some things that I was doing back then in terms of activities were things that I wouldn't do now. I just am not going to push myself in those ways. But that's not really the, the part that became difficult in this being chased around. Um, things like actually, um, you know, putting in, I remember uh, just this spring, uh, prior to the accident, I had I had turned my entire front lawn of the counseling practice into a food forest. And what that means is that, you know, there's a tremendous amount of work to be done. And each year I get this entire huge, you know, load of, of wood chips delivered and I have to take it around by a wheelbarrow from place to place and, and dump it everywhere. Uh, and then there's, you know, and I have to add compost and I'm out doing all kinds of things. And so after the first year post-accident, I realized, yeah, I can't do all these things. Like this is just costing me way too many, you know, days, if not weeks afterwards. So I stopped doing a lot of the things I hired people. I, you know, it was very sad for me because I was really excited about the experience that I was, you know, all the learning that was going on um, in this permaculture project. And then just this last spring, I decided, you know, I'm going to get back out there, but I'm going to, I'm going to do this differently. And so I took a little red bucket that, you know, might, you might almost a kid's bucket and a kid's shovel. And I, I had that load of wood chips delivered and I put the Tao of Poo, uh, for anyone that's um, not familiar, it's a really great read. Um, but I put, I can't I don't do reading much anymore. So I do everything in audiobook. It takes me a long time. I skip over things and do strange things. So it's easier to do audiobooks. So I put that into my ears and I went out into my garden. And I took this red bucket and this little red shovel and I started deciding that bucket by bucket, I was going to actually really slowly but surely move all of this, these wood chips. And I did it. And it was a really empowering thing for me to do because otherwise, emotionally, I would be sitting there. And I was seething with this resentment and frustration at myself, first of all, that I had these limitations, but also just that that this, you know, my life had come to this and why, and I would get into this poor me thing. And it was really, you know, I kind of had enough of the poor me thing, even though I was sick of it. Uh, and I decided I'm going to take this back. And so I did. I, I This is what I did. And so then I get soon after a letter from the lawyer explaining that um, because I was on my front line gardening, that they were not going to under any circumstances where they settled uh this case and so you know there were just these incredibly frustrating uh moments i remember them following me around in a, a grocery store one day I, I i suppose they they thought they were incognito but you know this guy just sort of kept popping up in every aisle and doing these strange movements <laughs> so i realized that he had a camera that he was taking pictures of me as i was trying to shop another feature on uh, a side note of my brain injury is this i i don't have this compare and contrast feature anymore. And I talked a little bit about that, but I, if I'm shopping, it's quite difficult. I've learned some ways around it, but I'll look at one item and I'll say, okay, so I'm going to buy this one razor and it's going to cost, you know, whatever, $7 or something. And then I, and I go, Oh, I've got this package over here and there are three razors and that's at, you know, $14. So wait a minute. So how much is that? Well, what was the first one again? <laughs> and I can stand and go back and forth and back and forth and stand there and just utter indecision for a very long time. So I started actually just to walk, walk towards the products that I know and just just forgo trying to figure out any sort of cost comparison as a result. Otherwise, I get lost in the stores. So it was probably in the midst of comparing a couple of bottles of shampoo or something when he um, when he was taking these pictures. So in any case, the, the thing that happened at the end when I got to the mediation process was that I was really ready to be done. And that was the whole point, of course. They want to just make your life as miserable as possible so that you actually give up and say, okay, that's fine. I'll take a, a little tiny amount of money as opposed to what I think would be a fair settlement to look at the, the income I've lost and, and also the projection into the future. For me, the important thing was really looking at the medical costs. 
Um, I now pay a mortgage worth of medical costs in a month to be able to keep my head above water. And so they're critical. It's, it's all about whether or not I'm functioning day to day, how my headaches are, how, how my mood is and what things I need to do. So those are non-negotiable costs. Uh, in terms of my quality of life. And looking at that projected into the future was an overwhelming uh, prospect. So the settlement to me was really about trying to do these things. And so finally, at the, the very end, there was this, um, I, I, you know, I, I should pause there. Before we got to the, um, what's it called? I'm sorry, mediation. Uh, before we got to that process, um, a couple of times, I just said, I'm done. I don't want to do this this anymore. Tell me what the disbursements are. I'd like to walk away from this case. I'm I'm just done. And and I felt that way um, because I realized that there was this tug of war going on inside of me. I was trying desperately to recover <laughs> and I was doing anything and everything I possibly could. My day, every day, all day was really about how to be able to maximize recovery. Um, and and then at the same time, I'm having to constantly go and attend these meetings and prove the illness that I have because they, you know, it didn't seem to be enough to have, you know, scans. I, you know, I had a SPECT imaging scan and a CT scan and all these other things showing here's the damage, here's what's going on. Uh, and, and countless reports, you know, explaining things. In fact, the reports that I, that I had and the things that I was saying to doctors before they actually even did the scans were the most interesting ones to me because I was describing perfectly what was happening when you had bilateral damage to the temporal lobes or, or damage, I guess, in, in particular to the temporal lobes. So some of the, you know, lots, every, every single point I was making actually even struggles with addiction, struggles with all kinds of things were all connected to this brain damage. And then suddenly we see on the scans, oh, there it is. Okay. Okay. Now we know what's happened. And we even have a scan prior to this that has nothing on it. So we can see the before and after snapshot, but still, no, here we are in litigation going through this. And so finally, I, I just was aware that this tug of war that was going on inside of me, this, this inability to ever move forward from these injuries, because all I'm doing is talking about these injuries and reinforcing all of the trauma and the things that were going on, uh, was causing, of course, repeated trauma. So the approach we use in counseling is called neural network therapy. And that is really about where your brain wires up and creates this loop in thinking. And so I really firmly believe that Emotionally, when you're looking try to try to move on from some form of, of trauma that's happened, some sort of an experience that's caused you to get into litigation, I think it's important to really weigh it out and, and look at how um, swift the process might be. In this case, it was six and a half years. There's nothing swift about that. <laughs> um, I think it's important to look at how much you know time is going to be spent reinforcing the neural pathways in the brain that I'm actually trying to move on from, that I'm trying to break down and recreate anew. And so I think it's worth considering. And, and when I was in the mediation process, uh, we had one of the top mediators, and I had, by the way, incidentally, one of the top lawyers um, in top, you know, 10% of, of Canada, um, I was in really good hands. And I had um, a really great mediator that was there who I really appreciated. And I felt offered a lot of sincere understanding of what it looked like to be in my shoes in this circumstance with all of these people in this meeting, and all of these attacks coming at me, and an incredibly long uh, opening statement from the defense that was just, you know, just basically me standing up against a wall and him firing as many shots as he could for quite a long time. Actually, I even had to take a washroom break in the middle of it and then assume the position once more. I thought it was most interesting when the mediator said, you know, y y your case is a commodity, no differently than the stapler as a commodity. And all they want to do is figure out 
how much is it worth? And so are we going to, I'm going to trade you, they're going to trade you some money for this case that is yours, that is this commodity. And I don't know why that, I don't know why that stuck or landed, I guess, with me uh, so well, but it certainly did. And I, I, I really had wished that I had heard that very thing on day one. There was something about that statement that I think needed to be said, because all of this time, it had felt very personal to me. I felt like I was trying to prove. Um, and for me, that was, you know, I took, it was very painful for me to try to constantly have to prove who I was as a human being. And so um, you know, they didn't, they didn't catch me doing much of anything. They caught me reading in a park. Um, I went with a friend when I was reinventing uh, uh, one of my cottage relationships that would normally be, let's go, you know, sit down and have a beer. And I said, well, let's go hit some balls at the golf course instead of the driving range. And so we went to do that. That was another one that they caught me on uh, video. That was that was horrific. I'm not quite sure what that has to do with the brain injury, but apparently a whole lot. And then the um, and then in my garden, those were those were the big things that they had to fight against me. So I still think, you know, ultimately they didn't have a lot to say, but they certainly managed to to create an anxiety in me that each and every time I would step out my door, I would be looking to my left and looking to my right and trying to just get comfortable with the fact that there is somebody that is likely videotaping um, everything that I'm doing. I'm sorry, it's not videotaping. What do they call it now? Videoing. <laughs> I guess that's what the word is. So. Anyway, I wanted to put those things out there. I, I don't know. I really hope none of you are going through this, but if there is somebody, I hope that any of those things might be slightly helpful. I think the evaluation is important, and I'm not suggesting that it isn't going to be the right thing for you to move forward with, with litigation. I just think it's important that you you look at the fact that when I think your focus is trying to get better and then your focus is pulled back to what's wrong, I think there's a battle. And that emotional tax was not something that I was prepared um, for, nor did I really even understand what was happening until I could begin to see it in retrospect. So now that the case is settled and I move forward and I recognize that there are some pieces that I'm letting go of and some of that anxiety is beginning to settle, um, it's it's still there. There's a resounding effect. There's a trauma after the trauma. And I, I really think that that's um, a criminal thing, really. But um, But I do think that it's worth considering for sure. So in any case, I'll leave this rather low ebb podcast with you. Um, I will be back soon. I've got some other topics I wanted to discuss, and I'm excited to be able to do this a little more openly. I know that they pulled apart every podcast that I had um, put out there. And I, you know, again, I went into this knowing that, but there's something to be said about enough. I don't want to give you one more thing to play with in my life. So that's that. Uh, I wish you well, and we'll be back soon. If you like what you've heard on today's podcast and want to learn more about our counseling and education services or to get involved with our Grow Happy Gardens Health and Happiness Worldwide Tour, visit our website at CanadianFamilyHealth.ca because health and happiness begin with you.